wonderful family of God. So I stand here before you today to share a word which is Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. Indeed, we follow him, not just principles about him, not just teachings of him. We follow him as a person. In the Old Testament, the way the Lord would interact with his people is he would come upon certain individuals, prophets, people like Moses, people like the major and minor prophets. He'd give his messages to those prophets. He'd give scripture. But his personal presence wasn't accessible like we have access to him through Jesus after his coming, after his crucifixion and ascension. And so there's a very different way that we interact with the Lord since Jesus' coming to those who interacted with him in the Old Testament or even how he interacted with them. Now, in the time of the Garden of Eden, there was this beautiful communion between God and man. There was this wholesome relationship without any fear. And Adam and Eve could enjoy the Lord in his fullness without fear of judgment, without any fear of any kind. And that's because they were pure, they were holy, they were righteous. But after they sinned, they were put out of the garden. And from that moment forward, people had to be careful in the presence of the Lord because his holiness would at times strike out against disobedience and sin, bringing judgment. And people even perished under those times because after the fall, there was no protection from the Lord's holiness until Jesus' coming. You see, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden didn't have to worry about the Lord's holiness breaking out against them. They were sinless. But after that time, after the fall, when sin had entered into man and woman, there was this period where the Lord had to be careful, I would even say, how he interacted with people, lest his holiness break out against them and judge them. And so he restricted himself by being in the Holy of Holies in the temple. So that, it wasn't because he wanted to separate himself from man, it was to protect man from his holiness. You see, God never changes. We know him as father, we can know him as father through Jesus. Adam and Eve knew him as father. But there was this period where his holiness, which is so very much a part of him, could not be denied. And it would strike out in judgment. Now, we are who we are. If we get invited to a friend or, or a fam, or, or family for, for an occasion, it's not as if they can say to us, listen, you're welcome, but leave your right arm at home. It's an offense to me, but the rest of you is welcome to come and join us. I mean, that's just not gonna happen because we can't separate the parts of ourselves from ourselves. Now, it was said of the Lord that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13, verse five that in him there is no shadow of turning, in James 1 verse 17. He remains the same. He always is, always will be, and always has. And yet, he could not express his full father heart to his people in the Old Testament because he could not separate his father heart from his holiness. And holiness requires justice and judgment, which took place in Jesus' offering on our behalf restoring us to full relationship with God. And so that explains why there seems to be a difference between the way the Lord would deal with people in the Old Testament and how he would deal with people in the New Testament. is because with his righteousness satisfied, he could enter into full communion with people again. 
Whereas in the Old Testament, there was still the possibility where judgment could break out against his people, which is also why he gave the law. The law wasn't just a set of rules. It was a means by which the people could be blessed, but also how they could be protected from his holiness. And when they broke that law, there were at times extreme consequences. John shared last week of Uzzah reaching out to steady the ark, and God struck him. His intentions were good, and yet judgment followed, because only the Levites were allowed to touch the ark. Now, there was another occasion where something similar took place, and this is where the ark itself came back to the land of Israel from the Philistines after its capture. Came into the land of Beth Shemesh, and the men of Beth Shemesh, Israelites, rejoiced for the ark's return. They had sacrifices, they made burnt offerings, and then this happened. I'll read to you in 1 Samuel 6, verse 19 to 20, out of the New King James Version. Then he, the Lord, struck the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall it go up from us? Now there's an old saying, curiosity killed the cat. I've got a new one for you. Curiosity killed 50,070 men of Beth Shemesh, but it doesn't roll off the tongue exactly the same. But the principle is, this incredible judgment took place, and their intentions were good. They were celebrating, and yet they were judged because only the Levites were allowed to touch the ark. They weren't allowed to just look into that holy um, uh, ark. And so there was this immediate judgment that broke out against them. And so the people had a, 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 a good fear of the Lord. And let me tell you, we are still meant to honor him as an holy God. Just because Jesus satisfied the judgment that we should have experienced for our sins, doesn't mean we shouldn't honor him as, an, as a holy God. He's unchanging. He's just as holy as he ever was. He's worthy of respect and honor. But we now have the opportunity to enter into relationship with him again, just as Adam and Eve did, without the fear of his judgment breaking out against us because of his holiness. Now, Jesus experienced this with his first disciples, this incredible relationship with them. In fact, it was so, 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 real that the disciples didn't have the full understanding of who he was until after his resurrection. Before then, they had an idea. They might have had an inkling, but the fullness of that revelation didn't come, and yet he was God in the flesh. John 1 verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is living with his disciples in the fullness of time he comes and he begins to call them and he says, come, follow me. And they begin to follow him. And as they follow him, they are engaged in a relationship with him and conversation with him. But at the very same time that Jesus is having this amazing relationship with his disciples, the priests in the physical temple are going through the motions of serving the Lord according to the law. And so you have this amazing um, uh, ministry running side by side for a time, two ministries. The one is the restoration of relationship with Jesus and his disciples as the first fruits of what we as his modern day disciples are called to enjoy as well. That's going. But at the same time, the temple is running 
with the law in operation and the priests doing a checklist of going through the motions of serving the Lord. I'm sure there was still a devotion there, but you can see the difference. You can see this incredible difference between the living relationship the disciples were beginning to move into and going through the motions to the letter of the law. And unfortunately, many of God's people do actually fall back into a more Old Testament style of serving Him, going through the motions of doing what's right, but never connecting with the heart of the one that they're serving. And so that is what the Lord wants us to enter into, and that is what we step up to when He says, come, follow me, is back into that living, loving relationship with Him, where he saves us, but we have the open invitation to continue to grow up into our relationship with him. Now that brings me to my first point, which is we are grafted into the vine. This is taken from John 15 verse five, where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, at the moment, we get up and we listen to that call where Jesus calls us, he draws us to him, and we take him as our savior. In that moment, we are like a floating branch grafted into the vine. And at that point, his life begins to flow into our life, just like any branch in any trunk when it's grafted in or when, it, when, it's, when it's part of a tree. All the life of the tree now has access to the life of the branch. The life of the tree flows into the life of the branch. That's what happens when we give our life to him. But first, when he calls us, we let go of the nets of our old life. When he called the disciples, many of them were fishermen, and they left their nets behind. For most of us, we won't change our jobs when the Lord calls us. For some people, they might have to change their job if there's a conflict with what they're doing in the gospel, in the purity of the gospel. But for most, they will carry on working in the position they were in, but what they will do, what we do, is we leave behind the old nets of sin. The old nets of our old life, our old way of thinking, our old way of acting, our old way of doing things. And we get grafted in as a floating branch that might have been attached to selfishness and sin and various other entertainments. We get grafted in to the vine of Christ and his life begins to flow into our life. But let me tell you, it's not as if everything is hunky-dory from that moment forward. There's still the process where we are now saved, but we need to begin to grow in Christ's likeness. And we've got a part to play in that. We've actually got to desire that and ask for that. I wanna to read to you Hebrews 10 verse 14. It says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This is an incredible scripture because it describes beautifully the relationship. For by one offering, he has perfected forever the relationship between salvation. There we are perfected, we're holy. we sanctified, God has saved us. Those who are being sanctified. Even though we have been saved and are made perfect, there's still the process of sanctification which is growing up into Christ's likeness. Okay, so we have a part to play in that. And where I'm gonna describe it to you is out of one of the churches in Revelation. Of the process whereby... Thank you, Lord, that you saved me, but I pray now you'll make me more like you. So the Lord comes to the Laodicean church, and he's actually got a rebuke for them. They're one of what I would call the naughty churches, all right? There were a couple of them that were just, the Lord was so pleased with them, but he was certainly not pleased with the Laodicean church. But I want you to remember this as I read this. This was written to Christians. This portion of scripture 
Um, well, I'm going to read one portion of Scripture out of it, but this portion of Scripture relates to a church. In other words, those who have said yes to Jesus, those who have been grafted into the vine. But there's a serious lack of growing in Christ-likeness in this particular church. Initially, Jesus says to them that they are lukewarm and that he would rather that they would be hot or cold, but if they remain lukewarm, that he'd spit them out of his mouth. He then goes on to tell them that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not exactly good fruit, if you ask me. And then he says that as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. He loves them. This is not judgment, it's discipline. He's trying to draw them back to him. Because even though they've been grafted into the vine, they are not drawing from the life of God into their lives. They're remaining in their old ways. It's like they've gone back to their nets or they never left their nets in the first place. So Jesus then says in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The shocker about this scripture is it was written to Christians. There was nothing about the scripture that said, use this when you evangelize to the unbelievers. This was part of God's message to the Laodicean church. And so what he was saying to them is, there are still areas in your life, doors within you, more than one, that you've got to open to me because I'm standing at that door knocking. I wanna come in and heal you of your hurts and your pain and your brokenness and your anger and your sin and to bring cleansing and healing. Just because you are in the vine doesn't mean you are abiding because even in this scripture, Jesus says, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. How similar does that sound to he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And only the abiding of the Lord and us abiding with him leads to bearing much fruit. And even as I said here, the fruit they were bearing was not good fruit. It was evidence they were not abiding with the Lord. But when they began to abide, or whoever of his people begins to abide, that's when the full life of the vine begins to flow in the life of the believer. And we see the Christ-likeness coming forth off the foundation of the salvation that saw us being grafted into the vine. Amen. Amen. So, you are called by the Lord. Come follow me. Now, to my second point. Position yourself to hear. First of all, the disciples had to hear the call. They obeyed the call. They got up from their nets. They began to follow him. They start to embark on a journey of being sanctified. They were being changed as Jesus was teaching his disciples. But there's something critical that they also had to do. They had to be near enough to hear him. They had to position themselves to hear his physical voice. Because only when they heard his physical voice would they actually be able to be taught, to learn, and to grow. And it's the exact same invitation to us. You can believe in the Lord, but not be close enough or positioning yourself to hear him. And his invitation to us is, don't just be grafted into the vine. Don't just say, Lord, come and cleanse me. Position yourself to hear him. Now, one of the Old Testament prophets, Habakkuk, why the Americans call him Habakkuk, I don't know, but anyway. Um, in Habakkuk 2 verse 1, we read a, a beautiful description out of Scripture 
of, of a man, a person positioning themselves to hear from God. Listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on the tablets that he may run who reads it. You see, such a beautiful intentional positioning from Habakkuk. He says, I will, set my, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. It speaks about such an intentional reaching to the Lord to say, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say to me. And the Lord's response, he answered him. Now another example out of scripture of the Lord speaking to someone is Samuel as a boy. Samuel as a boy is told by Eli to go and lie down and say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. And that's exactly what he does. In 1 Samuel 3 verse 10, we read, now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. And then the Lord began to speak to him. Now Samuel was a child. And I believe there's a teaching even in that. Because if we have childlike hearts to believe that he will speak to us, he will speak to us. He has a desire to speak to us. Now, some of you might say to me in this moment, okay, you're speaking about Habakkuk, you're speaking about Samuel, you're speaking about Moses, you're speaking about these major anointed men of God who wrote the Bible. What, I'm just a sheep. Bruce used the word sheep this morning, was a great encouragement to me. I felt, thank you, Lord, I'll take that as a confirmation of what I'm sharing. But you might be sitting there and saying, I'm just a sheep. And I want to answer you, sheep of God, children of God, out of his word. Jesus says in John 10 verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That is a declaration. It's a statement. Heaven and earth will pass away before this word passes away. And it's promised to you, each and every one of you under the sound of my voice, is that you can hear his voice because you're his sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice. It's a statement of fact. Now, no, at times, we sometimes do struggle to hear his voice. Let that become a prayer point. Pray that he will open his word to you. Pray that he will speak to you. Because sometimes, just believing that he's gonna speak to you is already fertile ground for you to begin to hear him. But the unbelief that he's not gonna speak to you because you're not some major person out of the Bible times is going to cut off his voice before you've heard one syllable from him. And I guarantee that he wants to speak to you because you are his sheep. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you did not know, things which were hidden from you, things which were, were, were in the dark, and the Lord now brings it to light. Here we see, the Lord says, Call to me and I will answer you. Another promise out of his word. The Lord wants us to have an incredible communication with him. Now, in any relationship, you might have the more casual kind of conversations, hi, how are you doing? But then we certainly have those times, especially with our close friends and loved ones, our wives, our husbands, our families, our children, where you'd have one-on-one -on -one conversations, what I would call a love appointment, something where you just invest time, you invest focus, because you care about this person, to communicate in a meaningful way back and forth. God wants that with you too.
Because we're not following principles about him. We're following the person of Jesus Christ. We relate to the person of the Father. We have the person of the Holy Spirit as our lifelong companion, literally living within us. And he desires to communicate with you. And I want to encourage you to say, position yourself to hear him. Just like Habakkuk, set a focus. Have the expectation that he will speak to you and believe that he will because you are one of his sheep. And so I want to encourage you with that. Jesus comes to call us. He comes to graft us into salvation and then he wants to sanctify us to grow in his Christ-likeness. Then he wants us to position ourselves so that we can hear him. And we're only gonna do that as we draw near. Remember the disciples, even as I mentioned before, they had that communication where they heard the crowds. Then they had the communication where Jesus would be speaking to people he was ministering to. But then there were times he only spoke to them when he explained the parables to them. They would come to him, and he wouldn't say this to the crowds. They'd say, explain the parables to us. And then he would. How similar to, I will show you great and mighty things which you did not know, is exactly what he was doing with the disciples when he was explaining the parables to them. He was showing them things they did not know. And they are the first fruits of us because we have the exact same access to the Lord that they did. But we've still just got to hear his call, stand up and be willing to follow him. Now, that brings me to my third point, which is to follow wherever he leads. Because Jesus has got a plan and a purpose for your life. He's got a destiny for you. But sometimes we're intimidated about that destiny because we're worried God is gonna ask too much of us. We're worried he's gonna ask us to do something that is beyond our capacity, something that's beyond our capability. And I just wanna tell you, his call upon your life is only gonna be something to be feared. It's only gonna be something difficult if the first two points I shared with you are lacking. If I say to you now, God's got a call for you and fear comes up within you, then I want to encourage you, go back to my first two points and say to yourself, Lord, are there still more doors in my life, in my heart, pains, hurts, sufferings, traumas I've experienced that's holding me back from trusting you? I open my heart to you that you can come in and sup with me and I with you, that you can bring cleansing and healing and release. Lord, I pray that, that you will begin to teach me to hear your voice more clearly. And that as I hear your voice, I will have the confirmation of the good and the right way forward. You see, if those two first points are in place, his call upon your life is not gonna be something to be feared, even though there is a price. And make no mistake, there is a price. But I want to remind you, he is a good father. He loves you. You are the work of his hands. In other words, he's the manufacturer of who you are as an individual. He knows exactly what you can do. He knows exactly what you're capable of. He's the one who gave you the gifts in the first place. And everything you do, you're gonna be doing by his grace anyway. And so there's nothing to fear in asking him for what his purpose is for your life. Because he's not going to ask you to do what you can do. Or put it this way, he's not gonna ask you to do what you can't do. It might feel that way to you because we, we paste our own perspective on our, of ourselves on God's call on our life. And we basically say to God, I can't do that. And let me tell you, yes, you can't, not in your own strength, but you certainly can in his grace and you certainly can if you submit 
to the word of him who made you in the first place that he knows what you can do. So if he calls you, he's going to equip you and anoint you to be able to do that. It is not something that needs to be feared. Yet there is a price. There is a cost. Matthew 16 verse 24 to 25 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus says there is a price to pay. But when you lose your life in serving him, you find it. The problem is sometimes we think God's gonna send us to outer Mongolia or to the far ends of China. And that keeps us back from asking with sincerity to the depth of what he wants from us and what he wants us to do. But I just wanna encourage you that so very often, it's a step that is quite within your reach. It might be uh, stepping up as a life group leader. It might be ministering to the poor. It might be starting a, a prayer time, a prayer group at your workplace. Don't overestimate and don't underestimate. Take God's perspective as a perspective that you are going to base your next step on and ask him to show you what he has for you. I wanna share with you now an example out of the Bible of someone who missed the mark, someone who had an incredible opportunity but they weren't willing to pay the price. And this was the story of the rich young ruler. I'll give you a moment, please turn to Mark 10. We're gonna read some of the passages of that scripture together. We'll be reading from Mark 10, verse 19 to 22, and then 28 to 31. Give you one more moment. All right. So Mark 10, verse 19 to 22. The rich young ruler has come to Jesus and has basically said, what do I do, need to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have done, kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. I love that little phrase. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He wasn't stern, he wasn't harsh. He wasn't sitting there waiting to judge or speak some harsh word. He loved him. And then he said this, one thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. So similar to the scripture I just read to you. Take up your cross and follow. But he was sad at this word, the rich young ruler, and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He wasn't willing to lay down what he had in order to follow the Lord according to the Lord's call. Because in his own heart, what he had was actually still of greater worth than God's call. And that's a tough question we all need to ask ourselves. But I really wanna put into perspective what he gave up. But before then, please, let's read from verse 28 to 31. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all 
and followed you. So Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus doesn't mince his words. He says there is a price, that at times there is a sacrifice to be made, but that we would gain even more in this life and even more in the life to come. Now let me tell you what this rich young ruler gave up on. Let's look at this. He didn't know it, but in that moment he gave up of being called of one of Jesus' disciples. If I look at the way Jesus called this young man, it was the way he called Peter, James, and John. There was this personal one-on-one call to this young man who was obviously a man of integrity to say, come, follow me. Perhaps, just perhaps, he might have replaced Judas Iscariot in time to come. He was a rich young ruler. He knew how to work with money. That was Judas Iscariot's uh, uh, expression. But I also think that this rich young ruler looked at Jesus and he assessed him in the, in the natural in that moment. He knew he was a great teacher, didn't know he was God, not even his own disciples knew the fullness of that until his resurrection. But he looked at him and what, what it was said about Jesus at that stage is foxes have holes, birds of the airs have nests, but the son of man is nowhere to lay his head. So this rich young ruler looks at Jesus living in the bush and at times in houses when people would open up their homes to him with hospitality. But essentially by Jesus' own admission, he doesn't even have a home. He doesn't have a pillow to lay his head. So for this rich young ruler to look at his riches and to look at the call of following Jesus into the wilderness, it was too much of a price for him to pay. I wonder how much he regretted it in time to come. His name would have been in here. I'm sure. Now he remains nameless. He remains an expression and an example to us of the consequence of not hearing the call. But if I'd started with point three as point one, you might have been running for the hills. I might have had half the people sitting in here that I currently do. So I'm very pleased. But nonetheless, there is nothing to fear in God's call. Even if there is a price to pay, you find your life when you lose it. It is so very much easy to say yes to the call, even if there's a cost, if you have allowed him into every area of your life, or at least that is your prayer, and that is your heart, that if he comes and knocks at a door, you're not gonna say, don't go there, it's too sore, it's too hard, it's too harsh, I can't let you in there. You let him into the fullness of your life. You are positioning yourself to hear him. Then when he calls and he says, come, follow me, the only answer you will give him is yes. Amen. 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 I want to pray with you now, and after I prayed, I'm going to dismiss the service. And so I just want to invite you to stand, that I might pray this word over all of us and trust for its impartation into our lives. Father, I bless you and I thank you that you are a holy God. You never ceased being holy. You are still just as holy as you ever were, for you do not change. But you are also our Father. You never stop being our Father, Lord, and we have the opportunity to have you father us through the relationship that we have with you, bought through your Son's shed blood on our behalf. 
Lord, I pray that we would have a revelation of what it means to be grafted into you. And not just grafted in, but to allow the fullness of your life to flow into our life. That if you knock at any door of our lives and hearts, we wouldn't shy away from you. We would open that door that you would come in and sup with us, abide with us, and we would sup with you and abide with you. And Christ's likeness will come forth to an even greater level in our life, releasing us from the fear of anything or anyone. Lord, I pray that you would help us to position ourselves to hear you, that your voice would ring true in our ears. Your sheep hear your voice. I speak that over your people. I speak it over all of us. And I pray that you'd unstop our ears, that if anything is resisting us from hearing you, Lord, may it be exposed and cast out, and truly that we would have a clear communication from your heart to our heart, continually, for the casual conversation as well as the deep. And then, Lord, I pray that you would equip us to follow you wherever you go. Lord, even your physical disciples followed you into a place like Samaria or, Lord, a graveyard with possessed people, but they were fine because those first two points had been established in their lives. They were confident in who they were and in who you were. And I pray, Lord, the same for us, that even if there is a price, we would not count that price of more worth than your call because we've assessed it in our natural capacity, but rather to look through your eyes and trusting with your heart to walk on with you. Lord, that when you say, follow me, we would say, yes, in Jesus' name. Amen.